My name's Tim. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we had our, just just real quick report, had our safest family 4th of July ever. Um, it's the first one that I can remember that we haven't actually set fire to anything. Um, we just sat and watched a show. Uh, so this is, um, how many of you have been to, I think it was Cascades Locks is where we were, and watched the, the show there ever, fireworks? No? No. Well, there's one there. Um, it's awesome. It's free. Um, and no one in my house got close to fire. So it was, it was great. It was a fun time. I uh, hope you had a good uh, uh, 4th of July um, holiday weekend. Um, we, we intentionally chose uh, chicken and waffles for this weekend um, because it is a holiday weekend. So we're the, we're the ones that get to enjoy that, that we're here on, on Sunday on July 4th weekend. How many of you have, uh, this is a new thing for you, chicken and waffles together? Oh, great. Of those, now keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Now put your hands down if you think uh, it sounds normal. Okay, okay. Yeah. So some of you actually added your hands at that point. So you've had it before, but you don't think it's normal. So um, that's, that's the camp I'm in. I, uh, yeah. So um, I've actually never consumed chicken and waffles uh, at the same time. I've gone with friends to have chicken and waffles, but ordered something else because I just don't put sweet and savory together, so this is going to be a first for me uh, as, as well. It's going to be great. There's a crew of people that are helping make all this happen. They're downstairs working hard right now, so uh, if you find them, give, give them a high five and say thanks afterwards. Hey, uh, before we open up Scripture, two, uh, two things. Um, we have, back in December, we uh, sensed really clearly that God was calling us to a unique year in 2019. And so we, we've kind of titled this year, and we started in, in January, a year of, of jubilee. Uh, and there's a lot that goes into that of what that means. But, but one of the things that it means is to, is to rest and to prepare for what God has next for us. And so as we've journeyed now halfway through this 2019 year in this time of jubilee, um, I just want to point out two things to you, uh, draw your attention to. Uh, halfway mark, one of the things that we did was, uh, this is the first Sunday of our, our new fiscal year. So our, our budget runs from July 1 to June 30th. And I mentioned this last week, but it's confirmed now. Uh, we actually exceeded last year's giving um, in this, this, this fiscal year. We just ended. So that's, that is tremendous news. And so um, that's, a, that's a great thing. And, I, and I wanna, what I want to point out is that in a, in a year of resting, um, that God's proved faithful and provided for us in, in significant ways and more even than last year, which is just, which is just God working in us, and that's, that's fantastic. So first and foremost, yay Jesus. Secondly, yay us. Um, the second thing is, uh, Renee just mentioned this, but uh, abide tonight. In a year of Jubilee, one of the things that, that we have seen God do and continue to believe that he's doing is preparing us for a new story. Um, and abide is a, a unique, kind of different kind of gathering to, to set aside, it's an hour and a half, it's 6 to 7.30, uh, to worship and to pray and to, to hear from Jesus. Uh, and we've done this once a month for about six months, and then we're going to do it every Sunday night this, this summer. Um, and so uh, we kind of kicked this off last week, and I, I want to add another word to not just preparation, but one of the things that these Abide gatherings are is participatory. And so it's, this, is, this is a wonderful way to come together and to worship and engage scripture and, and song and one another. Uh, Abide's different, and so uh, if you've been, you've maybe experienced it. If you haven't, I um, would invite you to, to, to pick one at least this summer and come and, and engage in it. It's a different way for us to engage in, in Jesus. It's smaller and it's intimate, um, and it's participatory in, in a different way. And so um, every Sunday this, this summer uh, from 6 to 7.30 is, is Abide. 
Hey, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. We're going to open up to Proverbs where we've been uh, through this summer and we'll continue to be uh, through August. Uh, Proverbs is right in the middle of the Bible, just after Psalms. And so if you open right in the middle and then turn to your right a little bit, you'll get to Proverbs. Uh, but before we go there, let's, uh, let's pray together and ask, ask Jesus to lead us and teach us. God, we've, we've sung already, but, but want to say again that, that you are great, that you're worthy of our attention and our, our focus and our song and our, our very lives. You give us our lives and we want to give them back to you. We want to live lives that acknowledge that, that you're good and all-powerful, that you've extended to us mercy upon mercy, uh, that you're a God who cares about justice and peace in this world and invite us to, to partner with you and bringing more of that into our world. And so God, in this place, delight in us as we delight in you. Holy Spirit, would you move and work in our time? We come into this place and we stop the normal rhythm of our week and we, we meet with you. And, and Holy Spirit, we want you to, to do something new in us. And so encourage us, challenge us, convict us, comfort us, do whatever it is that you need to do in us this morning. We want to be yours and be made new in new ways. And Jesus, you're alive, you're here, you're present. You love us, you're guiding us, you're directing us. Would you teach us now as we look to your word? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you're unfamiliar with Proverbs, Proverbs is uh, wisdom from God. Um, the whole book of Proverbs is saying, come, learn wisdom and live according to wisdom and avoid folly or foolishness. Um, it's written, a majority of, is by a guy named Solomon, who's the wisest man to ever live. He was also king, and, and he pulled together a ton of wisdom and put some of it in, in this book by God's hand. Um, it's... Uh, is ultimately, if, if none of that means anything to you, the book of Proverbs is God's invitation to us to live the good life. That God's consistently, word after word, sentence after sentence, verse after verse in Proverbs is saying, this is foolishness, come follow me for wisdom. And one of the things that we've acknowledged throughout um, this series on Proverbs is that, that Proverbs isn't a book of promises or guarantees, it's just simply saying, this is how life generally works. And so for those of us who have lived a little bit of life, we can look back and go, okay, this is generally how life works, and it lines up with Proverbs perfectly. We can find things in Proverbs that says, well, I, I tried it that way, and it didn't work, and, and that's not generally true. There are times when that happens, but it's not generally true. This is generally how life works. And Proverbs covers a ton of topics, and here's a, here's a list that we started with when we kicked off this series. It's just a list of topics that show up in in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we spent a couple intro weeks on, on what wisdom is and how we get it and how the fear of the Lord is where it starts. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to hit a number of these topics. And um, for no better reason than that I just feel like I completely sidestepped it the other week, um, I thought we would start our list of topics with uh, just a really good one for a holiday weekend when we're having chicken and waffles. Um, and so we're going to talk about adultery. Um, Adultery is when a person has a sexual relationship with somebody they're not married to, in case you didn't know that. Um, adultery is a um, prime form of entertainment when it comes to books and movies and shows and that kind of thing. When it shows up in our personal life, it's not entertaining in the least. It's devastating. Adultery is something that is prevalent in our world, and for too many of us, it's too close to home. And God talks a, a ton about adultery in the Bible. 
But the reason that God talks about adultery in the Bible and the reason that it shows up over and over and over in the book of Proverbs is because it's, it's the entryway that God chooses. It's the entryway that Proverbs chooses to talk about sexuality. Each and every one of us know and are aware that we're sexual beings. We understand that in different ways. In fact, everyone who's ever lived has had some kind of opinion about sexuality, about their sexuality, about somebody else's sexuality, about sexuality in general and humanity. Every culture that has ever existed has had regular norms and practices and accepted beliefs and convictions and opinions about sexuality. And the Bible is no different. The Bible says much about sexuality. And the reason that it does is because it's an intimate and important part of each and every one of us and in humanity in general. And so the Bible and God have a lot to say about our sexuality. And one of the ways to talk about that is to address adultery. And so we looked at a couple weeks ago, we looked at at a number of verses in chapter six, but both in chapters five, in half of chapter six and in chapter seven, it's, it's all about adultery. It's all about our sexuality and how we understand that and experience it. And Thank God for his wisdom in the book of Proverbs addressing not just adultery, but our, our sexuality. When it comes to that, the, the Bible um, is, is pretty clear. Um, people can interpret it and, and read it in different ways. And in my opinion, uh, twist it significantly to get there. But, but the Bible talks about sexuality in some very, and again, I believe, clear ways. And one of the ways that it talks about it is as a good gift that was created by God and given to us as, as men and women that it was God's idea that God designed it and then he gave it to to each and every one of us. And within that, he had a design for it. And the experience of sexual intimacy, of a sexual relationship, is designed by God to not just be a good gift, but to be experienced in a context, in a relationship, in a marriage between one man and one woman, a, a husband and a wife. That's what the Bible has to say about sexuality. And because that's what the Bible has to say about it, it also addresses what happens when it's experienced outside of that in any way, shape, or form. And it says that it's, that it's damaging, that there's consequences, and that there's a price to pay. And God is good in saying, this is who you are and how I've designed you and, and how you're best to experience sexuality in this life. And again, Proverbs addresses it because Proverbs is an invitation by God to live a good life. And so when it comes to our sexuality, we need an invitation on how to live a good life when it comes to our sexuality. Chapter 6 says this. If, you've got, if you're not there already, find your way to chapter 6, uh, verse 20. Verse 20 through 24 say this. My son, and again, it's written from the voice of a, a father, Solomon, to his, his son. And if you were here last week, Becky talked about um, how wisdom is, is stated in the feminine. It's a, it's a uh, feminine noun when it's referred to. It's, it's uh, imagined as a, as a woman. And if you were here last week, um, she did such a great job of clarifying um, uh, uh, concrete objects in, in Hebrew are in the, in the male voice. So a, a table or floor or clothes or uh, food is, is in, the, in the male voice. Anything that's not concrete is, is in the, the female voice, in the feminine. It's, uh, and she listed off uh, hope and love and joy and peace, all good things. And then she also um, included wickedness in that because that's intangible and didn't want women to think they have all the good ones, but bad. And um, it's much funnier when she says it. But um, when, when we come to, come to this, we, what, we, what we need to know is that it's written by a father to his son, but it's not just for men. And so all of the, his illustrations are written to a son and talking about uh, women 
But when we hear those uh, uh, son and, and woman as the, uh, the example, as he's, as he's going to write about uh, sexuality and adultery specifically, uh, we need to constantly be translating that, that it's both for women and for men equally. Uh, it's, this is just happens to be in, in, written in the context and the voice of a father to a son. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. As he's getting ready to talk about sexuality and adultery specifically, Solomon is writing to his son and says, your father's command and your mother's teaching. And so from the very beginning, we have this beautiful picture of a, of a mother and a father talking to their children about sexuality. Not all of us are parents in here, but many of us are. And it's our responsibility to lead and disciple our children in how they understand their sexuality from a biblical perspective when there's a lot of other options out there that we know of. Um, what this looked like for, for Abby and I, we have three boys. Um, and so uh, because we're in a, in a two-parent household, um, we, we decided to kind of uh, divide and conquer. And so I would take the first, first go at it. And so we decided early on um, that when our boys hit age nine, I, as their dad, would take them away. For, we, we did it with all, all three of them, uh, my boys. And, and they turned nine years old on their birthday weekend. I would take them away for, for two nights away, and we would have the, the, the talk. And um, was really intentional and careful to not just talk nuts and bolts, um, but to talk to put sexuality in the context of God's story. Um, that Dad wasn't just making this up. That I wasn't just getting it from science books. That I wasn't just passing along what my dad shared with me. But more importantly, what Scripture shares with us and what God shares with us. And then um, each time they would come home and look awkwardly at mom. And um, then also had very clear instructions. You do not talk with your other brothers about this. If you're, if you're an older brother, you don't talk with your younger ones. And so, as you can imagine, um, my first son came home and just puffed out. And kids, you can't know yet. Dad told me, and you don't get to know yet. And so, Dad will tell you later on. And so, that lasted two years. And then the next one knew. And wait, what? Can we go run on the beach now? Yeah, okay, good. Whew, we're done with that. So, it's parents' responsibility to educate, to train, to disciple our children when it comes to even uh, their sexuality. He goes on, bind them always on your heart, fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. He's saying when you gain wisdom, they will guide you wherever you go. Where, whatever step you take, whatever you need in life, wisdom will be there to help guide you and help you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. That, don't skip over that. And correction or instruction are the way to life. One of the things that wisdom says, one of the things that we glean from, from the book of Proverbs is that, that life is actually better. There's more good life when we live according to correction and instruction from God, first and foremost, before any other source. And this is what it's saying is, and, and, and there's, I don't know if you're like me, but for many of us, we read that and we go, wait, but, but what about this? But what about that? What, can I find life another way? And it, correction and instruction. And then he goes on for the reason why. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. And let's say that another way. Keeping you from anything that's going to harm you in the realm of your sexuality. Not just your neighbor's wife, but your neighbor's husband. Not just the smooth talk of a wayward woman, but the allure of a screen or a story or a book or a man or a woman, whoever it might be, to keep you from those things that are outside of God's best for me and for you. When it comes to correction and instruction, 
What I want us to hear this morning are, are two corrections, or if I can use another word, two warnings that are just readily obvious from Proverbs and, by the way, in life. These are not new, dreamed up, created things. These are obvious things that we all have known and experienced in some way in our life before. Two warnings or corrections, and then secondly, two instructions, or maybe say it a little bit stronger, two commands that we hear from God's word when it comes to our sexuality. The way that we're going to hear these today is in the next chapter. In chapter 7, uh, what Solomon does is he paints it into a picture. He tells us a story. He, he creates a, a, an illustration of something that's all too common in, in their world at the time. But we're going to see in this story or this illustration these two corrections or warnings and two instructions or commands. Chapter 7, verse 6 says this. This is the illustration of the story that Solomon shares with his son. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down to the street near her corner, walking along the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. When it says simple or no sense, it, you know, maybe when you hear that, you think, well, that's kind of, that's kind of insulting. That's kind of mean. Um, he's not, he's not calling somebody dumb. Um, he's, what he's saying is he's, he's saying the simple, among the simple, and among, um, the, he sees this person, this man, this young man walking, this youth, and he had no sense. He's not saying that he's, he's dumb. What he's saying is he's got no experience. He's saying he's gullible because he's inexperienced. Uh, let me give you an, an example of what this is like. Um, my wife went back to nursing school about five years ago, and now she's been working as a nurse for about three years. Um, so five years ago, I had to, part of our decision as a family for her to go back to school was, was me taking on more responsibility around the house um, as she's going to school and doing homework and that kind of thing. One of the things that we agreed, and this might not have been wisdom, um, was that I would learn how to cook a little bit more. Um, translation, beyond the microwave. And so I've learned over the last five years to, to cook a, a little bit. Now, I am still, when it comes to cooking, I am still simple and have no sense. Now, I can follow some instructions, and sometimes it's edible. But it's still, I'm inexperienced, and I'm even a little bit gullible. So if you walked into my kitchen and said, oh, that's not the way to do it, it's this way, I would go, okay, and then start trying to do something. I'm not great when it comes to cooking. Now, I'm glad to do it because I get to serve my wife and my boys. They might not like to eat it, but it's still there. But I'm simple, and I don't have a lot of sense when it comes to cooking. Solomon is saying, let me tell you about what it's like to be a person growing into adulthood when it comes to your sexuality. Many of you, and he's talking to his son, are simple and have no sense when you start out. And so let me paint for you a picture, an illustration of what that's like. A young man is walking down the street, goes to her corner near, near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. So he's starting to talk about a woman. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then he goes on. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Now, again, many of us hear that and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to talk about what women wear. You're going to talk about a woman being defiant, not staying at home. Again, in this context, it's written to a man and talking about a woman. In our context, we need to hear it both ways and all of different ways. So don't get caught up on the gender of the illustration. 
What he's saying in here is somebody's dressed in a certain way, like a prostitute. She's not a prostitute, but she's dressed like a prostitute. Translation, she's dressed to entice. She's dressed to draw attention to her body. That's not a new concept. We all get that. The next phrase is vitally important. With crafty intent. With crafty intent. When we hear that, what we hear is she's dressing in a way to to get a result, to get somebody's attention. What crafty intent also means is instead of just saying crafty, another word that works there is guarded. With guarded intent. What we have is an external description of what she's wearing and an internal description of her heart and her motives. Let's say it this way. We have the external description of what any of us might do, wear, or look like. We have the internal description of what's actually going on deep in our hearts that nobody can see. What scripture is calling out for us here is that when those two things become detached and not aligned, when those two things become detached and available and experienced at different levels, there's something wrong. There's warning signs and warning signals all over the place. What this is describing is a person who has made their external available, seen, touched, experienced, and their internal detached and hidden. When that happens, something has gone vitally and dramatically wrong in our sexual relationships. And it happens far too often. And it's the most prevalent problem underneath what ails us as a culture and society sexually. God intended, God created us, men and women, to experience sexuality in the context of a safe, committed relationship where both heart and body are entwined and available. And when that happens, even in the context of a marriage, when one is hidden, something's not right, something's wrong. And so this isn't just about how somebody is dressed or how somebody's looked. What this is saying is that when somebody's heart and level of intimacy and relationship is detached from what the body is experiencing, it's not the good life. It's not a good sexual relationship. There's something wrong. There's something broken. This is at the heart of everything else that the Bible talks about when it comes to our sexuality. She came out dressed like a prostitute, but with a guarded heart. She refused to be known. She wasn't in relationship. She wasn't going to be known. She was going to get her needs met some other way without being vulnerable in an intimate relationship. It goes on. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have, found f- and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Which this is, again, is, whoop, something's wrong here. I, hey, I'm dressed like this. I'm out on the street corner. I've got your attention. I'm going to start kissing you. I'm going to bring you, bring you home. Hey, by the way, one of the things I want you to know about is I've got a lot of food at home. And the reason I have a lot of food at home is because I've made my offerings at the temple. And I got the food left over at home. What she is saying here, and what too many of us have said too often is, Oh, yeah, I, I go to church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I follow God. But that doesn't affect my sexual self. That's over here. But I just want you to know I've, I've gone. I've, I've done the fellowship offering. I've done the peace offering. I've done my attendance at church. But I, but I also want you to know that's not going to affect me sexually. I've been married for almost 22 years. This, so I, and I, and I just say that to say, it's been a long time since I've been on the dating scene. 
I was discipling a, a couple young men, single men here at Mosaic a couple years ago, and they shared this with me, and I was, I was just shocked. Um, they said, hey, we're, we're, we're dating, we're looking um, for women who know Jesus, and here's the, the dating sites that, that we're using and the apps that we're using, and we're trying to find women, and we, we actually have, have dated a, a few women, and they both had the identical same story. And again, this works both ways male and female, just I don't disciple women, I disciple men, and so this is who I've heard it from. They said, we, 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 we met these, these gals on, on, and we would be at, on dates with them and, and begin to acknowledge, it. yeah, okay, you're following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, the church I go to is a church you go, okay, great. And, and then towards the end of the date, we, the idea of, of sex would come up. And they said this happened repeatedly with different women. Is it, they said, when it became very clear that I wasn't going home with her, or I wasn't gonna invite her home with me, if we weren't gonna sleep together tonight, then there probably wasn't gonna be a second date. Maybe that's all, maybe, maybe you're on the dating scene, that's familiar, that, that absolutely blew my mind. First of all, I was like, if I was your age and dating, I don't know that I'd be able to resist that. I might be more excited about that than scared of that. But for you to, to, to continue to follow Jesus and to remain sexually pure at some level and to resist that is tremendously difficult. That's what this is saying. I've got my fellowship offering food left over at home. Verse 14. I've, I've gone to church, but hey, my sexuality is my own. God doesn't rule that. God doesn't have anything to say about that. I'm the one that decides that. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've never experienced that, so I don't know if that's enticing or not. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Again, that's new to me, but apparently that's enticing. Uh, Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She She seduced him with her smooth talk. Correction number one, warning number one, nothing obvious or new about this, but there's a great temptation when it comes to us as sexual beings in the world today. And that's not new, it was there. It's new in different form because of the access to the internet and to screens and to books and to anything else that that can also tempt us and draw our attention. And there's a good reason the temptation is so challenging and there's a negative reason. The good reason is that God's given us desires that are actually good in their core. But the negative reason is that people actually have broken motives for engaging those. And the reason is, back to, to verse 10, is because the, our hearts get detached from our bodies and they're not intertwined together as God intended. Temptation is great. It's all around us. I want you to know that, that, that while that's not new, it's, it's prevalent, it's difficult. And, and I would guess that each and every one of us have battled that and struggled with that in some way in our life to, to, to greater and lesser degrees. I, I'm, I'm so encouraged and so, if I can say it this way, proud of, of men and women in our community who have confidentially and carefully reached out for help and said, I, I need help because temptation is something that has gotten a hold of my heart and mind and life and body and it's wrecking me particularly when it comes to the issue of pornography. It says, I, it's become an addiction and I, I, I can't control it, I can't fight it, I can't resist it any longer, it's too strong and I've reached out. There are a number of groups here at Mosaic that you may or may not know about 
that address this problem specifically and provide a relational context in which to deal with it, to confess, to, to find men and women who will journey with us through us as we find strength and healing when it comes to addiction sexually in our lives. A few of those are ones that we call 423 communities. We came across them a couple years ago, uh, and there's ones available both for men and for women. We know this is not just something that men struggle with, but that women struggle with at an increasing, rapidly increasing rate. And so we have those available, and there are more of us than have said we need help than among us that need help. And so that's available. It's completely confidential. You can find it on our website. Um, I have never been in the women's bathroom here, so I don't know if it's available, but we've got information available in the men's bathroom. Um, there's ways to reach out and say, this is an area for me that I need help in. I can't resist it any longer. It's, it's killing me. It's literally killing me. I need help. For those of you that have sought help in those ways or other groups that we have here at Mosaic, way to go. So encouraged. I don't know you by name. I don't know you by face. Phil leads this area and he's had for some time. And he tells me over and over stories of men and women that are finding help and growth and healing in this way. If you need that, it's available for you. Please don't wait another day. The second warning is, is this, and it shows up in the next verse, in, chapter, in verse 22. All at once he followed her like an ox to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his lever like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Verse 27, her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. The second warning or the second correction is that the consequences of not dealing with this, the consequences of stepping into sexual sin and impurity and leaving it unaddressed, the consequences of that are devastating. They're inevitable, they're unavoidable, and they're devastating. Like an ox to a slaughter, there's, there's not much of a clear imagery of that. I can't read that without hearing the background noise of doo -doo -doo, an ox just going down the road to the slaughter. Everyone else knowing what's going to happen, but them not. As Solomon says to his son, here is a young man, simple and no sense, walking along the road, putting himself right in her path. The consequences are devastating. If you flip back to chapter 5, verse 8 says this, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others. Listen to the things, listen to the consequences. Lose your honor to others. Lose your dignity to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth. Literally talking about money, bank account, income. Your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Talking about the physical cost of sexual sin. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. There's a, a list of the, the consequences of, of sexual sin. And again, it's talking specifically about adultery, but we can expand it to sexual sin in any form. I have two friends that I've walked through with who had uh, adulterous affairs, men who were married who slept with women that they weren't married to. And they could catalog for you the cost that they paid. One lost his marriage, one didn't. One tried to hold on to the lie and keep it hidden 
We knew there was something wrong. We were a group of friends. We had been meeting in a group together for a couple years. We knew there was something wrong. She was asking for help, didn't know quite what was wrong. We were, he and I were talking. It was one day at a coffee shop and saying, this isn't adding up. This isn't making sense. Help me, help me understand what's going on. What's going on? You seem to be carrying a weight that's too strong. Why can't you guys seem to make any progress? What, what's going on? What's going on? And he finally broke down. And he said over. He just said on repeat, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible... If you've ever been in a conversation with a friend like that and you, you just... You, you see the pain that they're in. You see the, the weight on their conscience. Like, what, I don't, you're horrible, why? What, what's going on? And finally he got the words out and he said, I slept with another woman. I had an affair. And he was devastated. Knew he was wrong. Their marriage did not make it. After being married 10 years, they got divorced. The havoc in their life is, is still in recovery mode after 13 years painful, costly. Even down to, even down to de- you can measure it in details. You can measure it in what it means to pay for a divorce, for alimony payments, for selling a house when you weren't ready to sell it. The, the numbers on, on paper and in bank accounts, it's clear. The Bible talks about the, your wealth in the hands of another. The other was a friend here at Mosaic who had a brief affair, went home, told his wife about it, and said, packed his bags and walked him downstairs. And when he got downstairs to the, to the front door, his wife was standing in front of the door. And she says, what are you doing? He says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you and the kids. And his wife looked at him and said, no, you're not. You're going to go talk to someone. You can pick who, but you're going to go talk to someone right now. He drove over to my house and we went out and grabbed a beer and I had no idea what we were going to talk about. And he said, here's what happened. Um, I've had an affair. I'm in love with her. I'm leaving. My wife said I'm not, so I'm kind of stuck. She said I had to talk to someone, so I'm going to talk to you. Great. Let's back up. You had an affair. True. You're in love with her. False. That took about 90 seconds to untangle. No, I'm in love with her. I'm falling in love. No, you're actually not in love with her. You might not know this yet, but I know this, and I don't even know her. You're not in love with her. You're infatuated with her. You're having a lot of fun sleeping with her, but you're not in love with her. Here's what's going on. We walk slowly through it. That was about 10 years ago. He's still married to his wife. They've gone through the costly, difficult, but worth it battle to recover their marriage and to continue to parent their kids together. But he could read this in chapter five and say, yeah, my honor, my dignity, some of my wealth, Physically, the cost to us is devastating. Temptation is great. The consequences are inevitable. Two instructions really quickly. Back to verse eight. Keep a path far from her. Here's an instruction and write this down. Remember it. Never forget it and put it into practice. The first instruction of what to do when it comes to our sexuality is to find out what tempts us and to stay far away from it to stay far away from it, to know what you're drawn to, to know what you're enticed to, and then do whatever it takes to get really, really far away from it. Here's what this means. Some of you need to put the the tangible, maybe even for you, embarrassing safeguards onto your computers and your screens and what you have availability to on your phone. 
Others of you know what you're attracted to, know what you're enticed by, and you, you keep getting a little bit closer to it, a little bit closer to it, a little bit closer to it, and you're like, I'm not getting burned yet. I'm not getting burned. It's okay. That's, that's really, really dumb. Just stop that. Be willing to be embarrassed to get away from whatever entices you. If it's on a screen and there's other people in the room, be embarrassed and get up and walk out or be embarrassed and get up and turn the TV off. If it's in an office context and you know this is the person I'm attracted to and we're the only ones left, run away. If it's a friend that you're attracted to and you realize, I don't know if I can fight this much longer, end the friendship. You will convince yourself and tell yourself and talk to yourself, it's okay and we should be able to be friends. You're not that strong. And you might be that dumb. End the friendship and walk away. And even be willing to say why. My spouse or my sexual purity is worth not being friends with you. And I think you're great. But we're not going to talk anymore. I've got to cut it off. You can say why. You don't have to say why. They'll survive. They'll live. They might be sad. You might be sad. You might be embarrassed. It's worth it. Keep to a path far from him or her or it or whatever it might be. Stay away. That's number one. The number two comes for these. Listen to these. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. It's painting an image of something. And if you're wondering what it is, yes, it's probably that. Should your springs overflow in the streets or your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? It's so helpful when scripture is so clear. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to. Enjoy sex with your spouse and your spouse alone. And if that is difficult, struggling, or unsatisfying, do the difficult work of talking about it and finding help. Drink water from your own cisterns, running water from your own well, not from another. One of the reasons this is uncomfortable to talk about and why we so often avoid it is because there's so much pain and failure and cost associated with it and because it's deeply intimate and it's an area of our life that God created and wants to have control and rule over and he wants to heal it when it's broken. And isn't it so great that when Jesus came and died, he paid the price for all of our sexual sin and brokenness as well. And when we come to this table, that's included. And so we're gonna continue to worship and to continue to sing. And I wanna invite you, as we always do, as we come to this table, and we say, Jesus, would you have all of who we are? And would you heal all of who we are, the areas that are broken? And if you're not broken in this area right now, praise Jesus. Would you come and say, Jesus, would you continue to sustain me? Whether you're married or whether you're single, whether sexuality is part of your life right now or if you're abstaining because you're not married or for some other reason, that God would sustain you and give you strength. Jesus, would you help us in the totality of who we are as human beings, including our sexuality? It's intimate, it's private, it can be embarrassing and uncomfortable to talk about. Would you give us courage and would you heal us? And would you continue to do the work that you're doing and so many in our own community helping to give us boldness in dealing with this and help from others along the way as we, as we heal and find strength in this area. And will you bless us individually in our marriages and as a church when it comes to our sexuality?